With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Fulhamish is back for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. Hello listeners, we're back in business with a special episode full of duality. My name is Jack Collins and tonight is a very close-knit affair. I'm joined in a two-headed production by the one and only professor of football, Benjamin. Hello Jack Collins, it's a pleasure. If normally Fulhamish is the Hydra today, imagine that Hercules has already cut off a couple of heads. It's Janus, the two-faced Roman god of transitions. We're the infamous Batman villain once called Harvey Dent, Professor Quirrell in the Philosopher's Stone, the Pokemon (laughs) Joe the flip of a coin, a chimera of ancient Greece, the Hindu fire god Agni, and the double-headed eagle of the Holy Roman Empire all rolled into one. That was slightly long-winded, but anything feels better than talking about Fulham at the minute. We are going to move on to next season, some managerial claims, some potential transfer targets Mm. very shortly, but it would feel weird not to address the elephant in the room, the game that put the nail in Fulham's coffin in the Premier League, albeit I would like to do so very briefly. Yeah, as briefly nice. as possible, really, Ben. Signs of life, basically, but snuffed out all too easily in the end. Yeah, that whole game against Watford, the 90 minutes encapsulated Fulham's season from the get-go, I think. You know, we had the first half where we started very slowly. We grew into it. We started to dominate the second half. We made rash tactical changes. We fell apart. We conceded three goals in 10 minutes. And Watford played at a canter for the majority of that second half we were outfoxed and outplayed all over the pitch really as soon as they scored that second goal you kind of felt that that was it really wasn't it yeah completely I thought like it it knocked the wind out of us really quickly that that confidence that the players had gained from the first half subsided pretty quickly and Watford found gaps and acres in the park that you know every team has been doing all this season and um, in that first half even though we looked good and we were dominating possession it was effectively like watching two teams battle it out that really really lacked quality and at the rate that Tom Kearney and Sambo Frank Anguissa walked through that midfield of Decore and Capoue they done it as equally to us and it was absolutely shocking that first goal where Decore essentially just walks to the edge of our box and then just you know toe punts one into the corner it was it was a real shame and I think for them done well to get themselves back into it but yeah as I say we fell apart too easily again and Something that we've been struggling here at Fulhamish, I think, to put a label on is um, something that Scott Parker said in his pre his post match conference was, we really do lack that that nous or that that noose, however you want to say it, of like, what for players can make space open up, in a, in a in a click of a fingers, you know, they can they can switch the play and start countering, and Fulham can't do that at the speed. We we're slow, we're lethargic, and we have been all season. And I I tweeted out, and it got quite a lot of traction that. It took us 32 games into the season to press. And, you know, that's quite accurate for me. Yeah, I mean, there are moments. uh, There are also tactical concerns that can you really press high with someone like Alexander Mitrovic up top? Mm -hmm. And that's no slate on Mitro. It's not, you know, I I know how good he was for us last season. I know he's Mm -hmm. probably been, you know, one of our better players this season. But a player of his kind of stature will find it hard to press for 90 minutes. And, and has that kind of limited us at times? And, and maybe, especially under Ranieri, who obviously likes to work with snappy strikers. And you can see at Rome, it's going badly for him because he's got a similar kind of striker in Edin Dzeko, mm-hmm. who's not able to apply that high press in the way that someone like Vardy did for him at yep. Leicester. Yeah, I think that that's a trend throughout the whole of the Premier League as a whole. If you if you look at all those teams down in the basement, should we call it, if we're going to use a media term, you look at Huddersfield haven't got a particularly quick strike force. Fulham certainly haven't. Newcastle haven't really in Rondon, but they've got the players around him that can do it. Also, and Rondon does press. He, he does he's press. He's just not great. He's not he's, particularly quick. Yeah, he's he's, he's quick, good at pressing, he he's just not fast. Yeah, yeah, completely. I think if you if you look, essentially where you are in a Premier League table is how fast your strikers are, I suppose, other than Bournemouth, who perhaps have two lightning quick strikers but are severely lacking in, in that midfield, yeah, yeah, which is a real shame. But yeah, I think um, as as much as Mitrovic gives us in terms of a focal point, it, it's detracted by the fact that he 
can't really press mainly because he's so isolated at all times um i think watford uh, and possibly brighton at home uh, where we come back to him for two are the only times i've actually seen players get in and around mitrovic and, and use his his disruptive sense to the to the maximum that they really needed to is there something in the fact that we it's fine not to press when you dominate the ball mm. because you, you don't need to for the majority yeah. of the time. I, I know someone like a Guardiola side, for example, will press when they don't have the ball, but mm. they still keep them. But, but for most sides, if you've got the ball, the press is less important because you're dominating the game and you're you know dictating the tempo. Yeah. And, and I think maybe that's what Fulham have found the difference between the Championship and the Premier League. Oh, completely. When you go from having a possession of upwards of 60% to something around about 40% now, it's really, really hard to to transition your style. And it's even harder if you haven't got pace in the right places. And it's even harder on top of that if you've got players that don't understand where they should be and at what point. And I think that's where we found players like Tom Kenny who excelled, whereby his opponents last year were slightly on a technical and maybe... Um, like an intelligence level a little below him. Now he's playing with players that are a couple of levels above him. And unfortunately... Or even on a par for players that yeah. are in the, the bottom half of the, champ- in the Premier League. Completely. But they've found that that edge or that certain type of intelligence where they know how to get into spaces and get there quickly and be effective in it. So, you know, you're looking at players who are, are quite limit, technically limited. Someone like Jefferson Lerma, for example. But he knows how and when to get around the pitch and he's become to prove quite a, an effective player for, yeah. for Bournemouth. And that's the sort of player that you would look Tom Kearney to be like, or, or Zambo. Are we going to, well, we'll talk about transfers and signings and who might stay and who mm. won't. But but on that kind of topic, is there maybe a little bit of a, I don't know, not a not a warning sign, but a, a kind of moment for players like Tom Kearney and Ryan Sessegnon who have struggled mm. in the Premier League this season to be like, okay, maybe we weren't quite ready for that. And it's a bit different for Kearney because he's obviously much older than Sessegnon. But is there kind of a sense that maybe he's a bit like, Oh, that wasn't that wasn't great. Maybe I would do better in in a team that had more quality around me. But yeah. actually, maybe I'm better off here and, and retrying and kind of trying to build a team that will actually be able to compete next time this happens. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Tom's a little bit different. He's, as you say, a bit older, and this is his second time around the Premier League now. Obviously, starting with Hull, albeit very limited experience. But I think his suitors will have gone from a level where he was looking at sort of like mid to upper. Premier League in terms of West Ham to probably now looking at lower end Um, again it's probably going to be a newly promoted team if Tom does go and you would hope that they're a bit more equipped than we were to stay in the division I just feel that perhaps given the loyalty that we've shown to him over the past few years that he might give it back and I think one of the indicative factors to that is the interview he gave to Fulham FC TV last week where he demonstrated how sad he was and the whole team were and I don't think I've ever seen a player come out and be so visibly emotional about yeah. the whole situation. And actually, that's quite refreshing. Although Tom isn't great at, at eloquently saying what he, he, he how he feels, and obviously he's a footballer, he's a man, um, they're not going to come out and do that. But you can see just by his body language and the way when the, when the questions are being asked, and whoever asked those questions was fantastic, by the way. They're, they're so direct and they really give an answer that we all wanted to hear, and which is so refreshing. But... Um, I think that's a good indication that he will stay. And the other one, obviously, being when we didn't go up the uh, season before last against Reading, I think he may stay with us. Ryan, on the other hand, it will be like, it's kind of like a baptism of fire. And I think it gives him that opportunity to come back down, maybe have a year where he excels again, get the confidence back up. But he knows he'll have to do something different next time round. And it's sort of like ripping a plaster off, isn't it? It hurts the first time round, but once you get used to it, it's sort of easier. Yeah, of course. Uh, there's some funny things going on in that one the, the thing about Kearney is that they're, they're a, he's on a five-year contract it's going to take quite a big quite a substantial bid I think to, to get him out of Fulham and yeah. get the club to accept that he's you know also got a baby on the way in terms of just more logistical matters it's yeah. going to be you know you know it's tricky to uproot your family mm. uh, and the teams that look like they're going to be coming up from the Premier League uh, from the Championship to the Premier League are you know Norwich, Villa, Sheffield United, Leeds, you know, yeah. those none of those are, are London clubs and there's no sort of real London clubs in, in the mix even at this point. Yeah. It, it seems like, you know, West Ham or Palace would, would be his only kind of options in, in London, in and around London. And they seem, 
I don't know if those clubs would be looking at Tom Kenny as someone that's, you know, obviously West Ham were looking before, but they have Lanzini back, they have Felipe Anderson in there now. Nasri. Nasri, Snodgrass. There's a lot of players that kind of play that same role. And you'd be thinking maybe they want to strengthen in other areas. You know, we know they've got Maxi Gomez coming in for a big fee in the summer. You know, they're going to be looking at it and be like, mm, it's going to take quite a lot to get him out of Fulham. Yeah, yeah, completely. If you reference back to the uh, wonderful Alison Rudd article from the other day, um, where the headline is embarrassed but ready for the championship. She goes on to describe that Fulham don't have players that have trigger clauses in their contracts so that we don't end up in the same situation West Brom were last year with Johnny Evans, where, whereby he went for three million, I think it was. Yeah. We also have clauses in contracts where the players have played significantly less than they were in the, in the Premier League. So up to 50% in some cases. And I imagine that the likes of Tom, who's on a brand new five-year deal. But he signed be that before that. we joined the Premier League. Yeah, but I think so. I imagine that his clause. He, I was thinking about this the other day. He might be the only one Could whose well wages will stay at the level that they were in the Premier League because he signed it before we went and promoted. I kind of feel like I know this is it sort of detracts from the fact that Shahid Khan and, and the rest of the guys had a project and they believed in it. But surely they would have sat there and thought, actually, if this all does go slightly awry, like it has done, probably an understatement that. They should put that clause in. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not. No, I'm just, I'm just spitballing as, yeah, as yeah. much as the next man. Let's just quickly talk about Scott Parker's tactics uh, yeah. against Watford, and I think that will lead us nicely onto a, a discussion of managerial kind of tendencies, but also managerial vacancies. Mm. Where did he go wrong? It felt like when Parker came back, he kind of went back to that Yakanovic style yeah. against the, the likes of you know Chelsea and Liverpool and he obviously accepted that against Liverpool we got stretched massively and went to five at the back against City which I didn't mind in mm. general I think that there is some kind of benefit to being able to adapt your tactics to the person you're, you're kind of playing against which is something that Yukanovic struggled with in, yeah. in due course but I thought to stay with five at the back against Watford was a strange move I agree but in the first half, I felt it benefited us, yeah. mainly, mainly because they they were walking through us at a pace that was alarming, um, and we needed that extra insurance at the back. My only gripe with that five at the back system is that we lost, we kept consistently losing a man in midfield throughout the whole season, whether that's under Jukanovic, Ranieri, or Parker. For me, that system needed an extra body in the middle, especially if we're looking at Watford in isolation. They were running through us. And Watford play a very strange 4-4-2 in that... It's almost a 4-2-2. Yeah, it's almost a 4-2-2-2. Or if they're really feeling that they need to switch it, they switch to a diamond. And that diamond's so tight. Uh, It's almost like um, that diamond that England and Italy played off the back of the 2014 World Cup when diamonds were suddenly like the next best thing. Literally. Um, They they would do that. They they were playing that and they were just walking through us. And for me, it sort of made sense to take off someone like Bubble or or perhaps even Mitrovic and just put that extra body in there. And for me, it was screaming out for someone like Seri who can do the yards and and get in and uh, the attack. And for me, taking off Ream and replacing him with a midfielder when you have someone like Andre Gray there who's visibly quicker than anyone in that back line and was breaking through with consistency and taking away the pressure that was on Troy Deeney is just a fundamental flaw. Yeah, I mean, I think about that. I do feel a little bit sorry for Parker because, you know, he started with the five and the five did okay, but then once we conceded again, and it was, you know, a great strike from Wilkie's corner. Oh, yeah. He had to do something about it. I just think he went about it the wrong way. But, but he did react he tried to adapt his formation and yes it ended up with us losing you know control of the game but you could see he brought in that extra midfielder and it was kind of like oh okay we're going to switch back to four and three and it seemed to try and grab control of it and it ended up being a bad move but I could Mm. see what he was trying to do yeah yeah completely I could see what he was trying to do Um, like if we're going to be honest we made a lot of chances that game we had a lot of chances we had Mitrovic missing a couple at the near post and we had a few flicked on headers and a, and a, a wonderful save from Ben Foster to deny Surrey. Um I think we also well, maybe... He should have scored. Yeah, oh, completely. We also... Maybe we had one off the post or the bar from, from memory. We did create a lot, but it's just being caught on the counter time and time again. And this is a stat that absolutely bewilders me. I saw it on Twitter the other day and apologies, I can't remember who said it, but I'm going to use it anyway. Of the 70-odd goals we've conceded this season... 29 of them have come directly from individual errors. Oh, Max Cohen. Max Cohen. Like, obviously, shouts up. That's massive. That's nearly 40% of all of our goals have been 
scored from you know an individual error which is just not good enough in a league where you make a mistake and you get punished for it it's part of that cohesion and the squad just not really gelling in the way that annuals thought they might yeah yeah completely it's just i think for me it's just a lack of managerial guidance towards one identity um and we just haven't had it this season okay well let's talk about managers then okay you know i i don't think parker's done enough as of yet to to stake a claim that he should be the permanent manager of this squad. There is time to turn that round. I'm not saying that he shouldn't be given it. I'm just saying that I don't think currently he's done enough. Yes, those first five games were hard. He made quite obvious errors against Watford. And and yes, while I feel sympathy for him, I don't think that I really need to be feeling sympathy for the manager. I want the manager to make the decisions that are correct. Um, If he doesn't get the job, let's go and say that we don't get many more points, you know, one or two more points for the rest of the season. We don't get enough to kind of judge judge him positively in the cold light of history there are plenty of options still available I was going to say today that Vincenzo Montella would have been my first pick for someone who knows the club who you know has the club in his heart and, and would potentially be convinced to come back by a good offer mm. but he has today signed as the new Fiorentina manager after they sacked Pioli yep. so that one's very much out of the water you said you wouldn't mind Pioli I wouldn't mind Pioli at all I think he's uh, a good manager um, he trusts youth and if you look at Fiorentina, they're a, they're a side that, and you'll know this because they're your Italian team, so Hi. feel free to step in where as and when. But they're a team that has, firstly, a lot of turnover in terms of their players, and the players that they do get in tend to be very young. And I feel like this is where our squad's at at the moment. It's a squad that's going to have a lot of turnover. It's young, it's there to be moulded. And Pioli is a good manager for that. He plays some expansive football, although Fiorentina haven't exactly been eye-catching this year, unfortunately. No. But I think he knows how to get the best out of young players and there are certain facets to his game that are really attractive that he likes to play with fast strikers, he likes to play wide, he likes to play on the front foot and I think that that is something that will suit our squad back at the championship level and sort of hark back to Djukanovic. He he has his flaws, purely. Um, we've seen quite a lot of them at Fiorentina this season. But at Inter Milan, he did okay. And at Lazio, he did okay. Mm. Um, and yes, you're, you're completely right. In, in that kind of faith in youth. And that's something I think the fan base as a whole is quite keen to, to see. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that it's always going to be the right option. I, I think that we're going to have as many misses as hits. And, and as much as we're so keen to see more of the likes of Matt O'Reilly of Steven Sessegnon of you know all the way down to someone like Harvey Elliott yeah you know you know and there's lots of players in that bracket that people are like oh very excited about and and very keen to see more of you're gonna get misses for for the hits and it's up to the manager to work out who's actually going to step into the system you know I I think that for for long periods of this this season we've had a problem at right back Mm. um through you know a lot of different issues but uh, mostly through the fact that Ranieri didn't want to use kick on fullbacks who actually moved forward which was basically all we had Um, but given that we have a a right back who's not particularly keen on going forward who plays right centre back in Steven Sessegnon who everyone's been very very keen to see and hasn't been given an opportunity despite the fact that we've really struggled in that position that suggests to me that there is more than a little bit of concern about Steven Sessegnon's lack of experience at Fulham well, yeah, I think that that's definitely the case. You've looked at players that you've listed there and players that you haven't. So the likes of Della Torre, et cetera, have yeah. all had significant chance to impress on the Ikanovic and have done to a certain extent. Obviously, we've seen their um, potential to be used in certain situations this year curtailed. Yeah, neglected. Clearly, and, and neglected, yeah. But last year, you know, I thought Della Torre was some of the standout performers in, in some of our cup games and proved himself to be an adequate replacement in some of the championship games and I think he would be a player that we should be looking at but yeah Sassanion if he obviously if you compare him to his brother it's like you know chalk and cheese chalk and cheese you can't do it Um, but a lot of people rave about him but we've not seen him step it up yet and I'm just waiting for that sort of click to happen apparently he's much better than Ryan was so well, I, I think, think he's, he's played. We've seen him play for England. We've seen him play for the Twenty Ones, yep. and he's done fine without yep. being exceptional. I think mm-hmm. for for quite long periods of that, he is a good player, and I think he's going to be a, a good Championship player. And I hope that if they do, you know, there are off. There are lots of talk about players about Spurs coming in with a double offer for the Sessegnons, uh for yep. both of them to go. Mm-hmm. But I do hope these days, and he gets a chance in the championship, if that's what we're going to do, and we are going to put faith in these players because it seems like a logical next step. Obviously, Marlon Fossey's always there. He's coming back from injury. Who's 
seen as you know an equally good if not slightly better prospect by quite a lot of people around the club I believe so it is a question of getting a manager in who respects the youth mm. but also who is willing to make difficult decisions and often you know have to let the fan base down in some in some regards because always players want to see you know fans want to see their own players coming through and the academy prospects yeah, coming through but Often it's actually at the detriment of team, and we, we saw that under Kit, you know, and we saw that under Magath to, to an extent where yep. academy prospects were being rushed in who weren't ready for the division they were going into, and that actually harmed a lot of their careers, I believe. Yeah, or you look at someone like, I think it's probably a bad example, but Sean Kavanagh, if you want to agree with me or not, sort of Sweet had, effort. had Sweet I effort. mean, he had a sort of a good upbringing at, at Fulham, and I think he was rushed in a little bit too much, and it was to his detriment, and yeah, it's just certain players in there that never reached the heights that they really seem destined to actually reach which is a, a real shame and I think everyone's natural reaction when something is going incredibly badly is to reach for something that they think can make a big difference in a big way almost instantly and for football fans it's who can we grab out of the academy that looked really bloody good in yeah, the under 21 under and, and yeah, yeah. Um, yeah he can definitely do it against Alexis Sanchez or Leroy Sane or Raheem Sterling like if we're going to be brutally levels, honest. Levels. I, I'd love him to come and absolutely smash it, but in the cold light of day, the Premier League is another animal. It's a different animal, and likelihood is they'll get absolutely torn apart, and that's probably a bad thing for their career at this stage. Which brings me on to another coach who is someone who brings through youth, mm. um, who has been sacked recently, well, not recently, in the last couple of months by Roma, Eusebio Di Francesco. Oh, yeah. Um, who did a lovely job across Italy, basically, oh, and is quite widely respected, mm. but is kind of. He's kind of, he's never had a particularly good domestic season. Very good in Europe uh, yeah. for long periods, but his domestic form, especially at Roma, was questionable to say the least. You know, is he someone that maybe could do a step down, rebuild, and and start a, a kind of dynasty club? I mean, it's it's a difficult one to suggest whether he would or not. But he seems to be a sensible fit for someone like Fulham. He's a, a cultured thinker. He brings through youth. He plays attacking football. All of the things that we kind of like to see at the cottage. And he he is kind of of that Yakanovic mold, but with a little bit more tactical now. So I would suggest. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. And I'd like to point out firstly that Roma, unfortunately. F- for them as a club are in a little bit of a shambles at the moment in that they've well, got... yeah, they've got Claudio Ranieri. In. Yeah. <laughs> and they've got a sporting director who is meant to be the best in the world that has come in and turned the club around, but not in an entirely positive he's way. Off in as Manchi. Well. And he's, he's gone. He's already back in Sevilla um, eight days into his new role. But um, yeah, Di Francesco is, is, is a good one, actually. I think your point about him underperforming at a domestic level is certainly true for this year. But last year, they were fantastic, Roma. And I think they're finishing the top two or three and, and quite comfortably so and looked really to be stepping on until this season where they've sort of regressed but let's not forget that Di Francesco was the guy that got Sassuolo back into the into I was just Serie about a. to bring this up this is the kind of one for me he, he transformed Sassuolo yeah. from you know a middling Serie B club into you know a, a, a genuine a. good Serie A club who were finishing in the top half I mean they're literally really good this season and they've got some great players in there and he's taken players like Domenico Berardi who has sat there as you said a sort of like a middling Serie B player into a player that's now half owned by Juventus and will probably go at, at some point in the near future should Juventus sort of ever want to uh, um, trigger that um, clause. that clause in his contract but they've also got other players as well who he's helped to elevate and move on there's a couple of them that have, one, one that's just gone to Inter whose name I cannot remember for the life of me from Sassuolo um, oh Politano the winger oh, yeah, Politano. Um, came through uh, Sassuolo with um, Di Francesco before moving on um, to Inter and I, I really do think that actually Di Francesco could be a great appointment for him no, for, for Fulham and I think he'd make a huge impact on the club. Um, I feel like we could be slightly below someone who's just been sacked by a Champions League club. No, I completely agree with you. But I also think that you know we've seen in this season that Leeds have attracted, you know, a coach, uh, the best of, coach in the world, a, a coach of Marcelo Bielsa's stature. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Um, but but of someone of Bielsa's stature who has coached at the very very top level, yes, he's a bit of a maverick and potentially mm-hmm. more than Di Francesco is, and and is seen as a bit of a madman in the world of football. Yeah as well as a genius. But I think that we, we wouldn't be 
ahead of ourselves to suggest if we were looking for a project like this that the Khans could go to him and be like this is where we want to be in five years mm. time we see you at the helm of that this is you know look at what Nuno's done yeah. at Wolves mm. we'd like to obviously you can't emulate that model because that model is fueled by by various factors that are outside the control of normal clubs but it's also something that you've got to you've got to look at and be impressed by because Wolves have, have made conscious decisions to make sensible appointments in, in key roles mm. and, and in doing so they've been able you know been able to actually transform themselves as a club and I think if you went to Francesco and went, you know, said something like that you might be able to convince him to buy into a project like Fulham obviously location wonderful mm. you know a good group of players a play, players that want to play football great training grounds you can see the long term ambition for the club uh, you, you might be able to convince him yeah, maybe actually. I, th- I think that's quite a nice way also, to Also, I'm it. here for hire, lads. If, if you want me <laughs> to go and do the pitch to Eusebio, I will. Mate, I'd 100% buy into it if you gave me that pitch. I, I really like the idea of trying to get uh, Eusebio. I feel like Italy, Ita- Italian sort of managerial merry-go-round is going to kick off this, this year in a big way. I think Milana, I've got a coach they're not entirely confident in, in Gattuso, despite the fact that he's absolutely smashing it at the moment. Inter never seem sold on Spalletti. Inter's a madhouse. It's an absolute madhouse. I'd absolutely not take over that job if I I ever got the chance. But yeah, there there are a few clubs in there that um, absolutely should be pushing on to the next level. But Italian clubs never seem confident in their own managers. And there are managers in the lower end of the league that are smashing it on a on a shoestring budget. I think you look at like Palmer who have come back up into Serie A and are comfortably in like sort of like mid to, to lower table on a budget of barely anything and are doing quite well but yeah I think there's um there's a huge class of managers out there I think one I'd like to throw to you obviously you have a vested interest in Portuguese football slightly having a half Portuguese girlfriend of course is a guy called Jesualdo Ferreira I I thought you might drop this one up a very very good manager that has managed in pretty much every single continent you could ever get your hands on um last four jobs were Sporting, Braga, Zamalek and El Sad and every single one of them he's had about 50 to 60% winning record Yeah, and he plays very nice football as well. He was so good at Braga that 2013-14 season he was absolutely phenomenal. The only thing I would say about as well though and and much as I do love him he is 72 (laughs) 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 And, and, and I think I mean, he's at Al Sad. That seems to be money, money, money. Yeah, I think that might be the kind of thing where he's like, right, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe just signing out here. This is my seal. I love it though. I love the idea, and he is kind of one of those, you know, people. He had a massive fight with Mourinho. I remember a couple yeah. of years back that was phenomenal. Yeah, uh, and and one of those things where I think he's seen as a bit of a mentor to quite a lot of Portuguese football. But mm. Mourinho doesn't like him because I think of that kind of reputation and potentially yeah. the stance that he's. You know, a father figure, whereas Mourinho seems this kind of weird outcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd love to, but I think I think that he might be too old to take on a project like Fulham. At yeah, this potentially. Point. I think in in the white, it's something really good for Portuguese football in general, and for like any of you listeners that really like it, is that they've got a huge class of managers coming through. Yeah, in, in that part of the world, and they really are a thinking nation. Um, probably producing a better managerial call than Spain are at the moment, but. I think if we looked into Spain, there's one guy who I think you, you'd probably love for us to appoint. And despite them coming from his city rivals, it's Pablo, Pablo Machine, yep. who got Girona up from, again, the middle of uh, La Segunda um, and basically turned them from a, a mid to low level team there into a into a force to be reckoned with and, and has steadied them into into La Liga and moved to a big role with Sevilla and unfortunately has not gone as well as he likes now it didn't go quite to plan but also you know you tie that in with the whole Monchi thing with him being there and Mm. leaving and it all being a bit up in the air and you can kind of see why that was a a poison chalice in itself I I would love Machine I I think Mm. that would be a a phenomenal signing in many ways Um, you know his style of football would fit I think that you know, we, we look at coaches in Spain and we mm. think that that's, you know, the tactical kind of nouse part at this moment it is so high. And, and, and you kind of look at that as a, an example of someone who could come in like Bielsa and really turn things around. The one that, that I was going to throw to you, which is kind of a similar case, but from Germany, uh, was mm. Domenico Tedesco. Oh, um, yeah. Who's obviously just left Schalke, similar yeah. in the fact that he 
has come from a Champions League club. But he, you know, there's that there's that link. We've seen German managers come into the Championship in Wagner Farker. from Dortmund. We've seen Farker at Norwich second season absolutely slam it. Mm. And it does seem to be this thing where German managers can come into the Championship and and do bits. And I do think that. If you had a look at someone like Tedesco, mm. yeah, this you know obviously had a rubbish time with Schalke in general yeah. this season. They are not doing well. They haven't improved particularly since he's left. Is is the kind of thing I would add to that? But he's part of this kind of new generation, uh, I guess, of of young laptop managers they're called in in, in Germany yeah. who never really had playing careers themselves. Nagelsmann's obviously the the poster boy for that, who will be joining Leipzig next year. But mm. but Tedesco is very much in that kind of bracket and I think he'd be a really nice a really kind of nice fit for Fulham as well yeah. and that kind of high press German style of football and the kind of the way that the the Bundesliga and the Premier League and, and the Championship and all of those leagues that tie in together are are kind of similar in many regards and how you know someone like Klopp didn't take as much time to settle into English yeah. football's Guardiola or you know all of those things do suggest that a German appointment might make sense yeah I like I like that shout I think it's a great one his style of football over the past couple of years has been swashbuckling it's been on the front foot and I think that's something that will suit our squad and like you say the, the Bundesliga has extensive ties to the Premier League and, and the Championship and every single person that you've seen come in from uh, the German leagues has settled um, somewhat and, and settled well and quickly and I, I would like to see him over here I think he's got a massive future ahead of him and I wouldn't be surprised if someone did snap him up in the summer. I'd be quite surprised if it was us, but there is this huge amount of German managers coming through and I wouldn't be surprised if we dipped into that market. Germany has this weird, like, it's laptop managers or it's people that have been around the block 50 times, like Armin Vey, who keeps, like, knocking up at, like, random jobs. He's just a really strange guy. But I think I wanted to throw one more at you and I think this would be... This would be for me probably like one of the one of the dreams is um, Jose Bordalas, who has taken Hatafe from perennial basement boys of La Liga to now impending Champions League glory, and I think it's a wild shout, and it would have been a great shout for us this summer, just gone. But like, th- if we managed to get hold of him like now, would be um, absolutely unreal. And I think the Levante manager as well. I cannot remember his name for the life of me. Both of them doing quite good jobs. I think, yeah, I, I, I love Bordelas and I think he's doing an absolutely absurd job at Hatafe. It's just what he's doing with the players he has at his disposal is breathtaking. I mean, I literally said to you on WhatsApp the other day, it's Leicester-esque. Yeah, but it's But better. I think I've gone over the top of it. it. It sort of is better, like, because they're, they're a team that had a budget this year of 500,000 euros. And if you look at Real Madrid, they've had 250 million euros. Um, and he's got them in, up above, you know, a lot of the big boys of, of, of like Valencia, Betis, Sevilla. They're all above them all. And they've beaten them all as well this season as well. They've been spectacular and he has been spectacular. I just can't see him leaving after <laughs> doing such a good job. That would be my, you know, uh, you know, it's like someone taking... It's like trying to steal Daniel Farker after he's taken Norwich into the Premier League. Completely. I think it would. It's it's a wonderful shout. What about closer to home then? The the one closer to home that I kind of thought about was Carlos Caviar. Um, mm, obviously, like you know, been around the block a little bit. Didn't quite manage it with Swansea. Always was a little bit of a nearly man with Sheffield Wednesday. But on the whole, I think a very good manager and speaks really well. Obviously, knows the division. Mm. A lot of people we've shouted out there are, are very much. You know, foreign names to to a lot of people, I would imagine, mm. and and I would encourage you to go and look them up and have a look at their records and see what kind of styles they play because it's phenomenal to to look at all these different managers and see who would who would fit Fulham's kind of ethos and their playing philosophy and all those things. Carvial's one close to home that I think mm. I would quite like. I mean, he's always had a really good winning record wherever he's been. Um, I really did think for a while that he was going to be the guy that could save Swansea, and then it all sort of. He was very close. He, was, he, was close, he, he it, won a lot of important games and then they just sort of ran out of gas. Yeah. Or just the teams around them won games yeah. that they didn't think they were going to win and, and Swansea just got consigned to it almost. Carvel Howell's always been quite a streaky manager, especially yeah, in the championship. You'd see Sheffield Wednesday go on massive unbeaten runs and then they'd lose four in a row. Then they'd do it all over again. And I think he, he, we, when you're in a championship, you need to look for that consistency. And I think consistency is something that a manager like Farker has brought to Norwich who last season were really streaky yeah, yeah, and now, yeah. They're, now they're not 
Um, I think there's a couple of managers closer to home that I think we might be able to get our hands on that would be really good for this level. And firstly, Lee Johnson. Obviously a Fulham fan. Obviously is a Fulham fan, but again, a very streaky manager. is someone that I'd like, to, I'd like to try at the helm. I think he'd do a good job. He's built Bristol City from the ground up and he isn't scared to use young players. He's introduced some of, some great players into that squad and got the best out of some players who are quite limited, like Corey Smith, who's always been quite a limited player, but he's doing some serious bits down there. Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously knows Joe Bryan quite well, know how to get the best out of him. Um, someone I've never really been like enamoured with, but a lot of people are, is David Wagner. And I just wanted to get what you thought about him i think it's an important question to raise i'm not wild on him because Mm. of the style of football he played Uh, and you know when he went up to i I know he's limited by the huddersfield budget and all of those things and you can only play with kind of what you've got Mm. but when he went up to the premier league he was given budget to spend on a striker and he went for mounier and departure look i'm not saying that either of those players are bad players i just you know if you could have picked anyone they wouldn't have been the players that I would have picked. And, yeah. and also, I feel a bit sorry for the likes of Naki Wells, who actually scored a lot of goals mm. in the you know, in the championship and never really got his shot in the Premier League, especially you know under Huddersfield and, and especially last season when you thought maybe they could do with someone scoring those goals. And it, it did yeah. feel a bit weird. And obviously now he's at QPR and he's doing bits again in the championship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it always felt a bit weird that he didn't like Naki Wells for whatever reason. And I'm sure that he had his personal reasons. I wouldn't be upset if Wagner got the role by by any stretch of the imagination. I think that he is a good manager and he does get the job done. And on a bigger budget, he might be able to expand his style of football a little bit more. But I am wary of the fact that when it came to the crunch, he went long ball. He went route one. He went direct. And I don't think that's what Fulham are about. Yeah, completely. I I did like the fact that Wagner has come out and found some very decent finds from places that I don't think many other managers would look. And um, he got the likes of Kachunga who's who yeah. done who done bits last year um sorry year before last in the championship lots of Colin Kwana who come out of absolutely nowhere Philip Billing like great pickup he's a brilliant wonderful player, player. um if Fulham could somehow get their hands on him I'd be very very happy but I doubt that'll happen um although we wouldn't be able to use his long throws because <laughs> long throws are mental <laughs> um one like two more names I'd like to throw out there Go um, for it. first first one a certain Frenchman that was sacked a few months ago by Claude Puel yep I'd, I'd actually quite like Puel. Doesn't, he doesn't, doesn't the, play nice I think, football. I think Puel's good and he's very good at, at bringing squads, you know, in terms of actually getting the best out of squads and stabilising them. Yeah. But players don't seem to like him and mm. fans don't either. And that does concern me slightly. I, you know, I think that's fine when you're doing well and you're winning. But actually he was doing quite well with Southampton, got them to a League Cup final, all of the, you know, things. And yet the fans were still a bit like sound when he left. Mm. Everyone was like, cool. And I was like, that's not a particularly good indication of someone that inspires confidence. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, Final name I'd like to throw into the ring. Um, He's a Serbian manager. I think you know him quite well. It's uh, Slavisa Jakanovic. Look, I've seen <laughs> I've seen lots of things. I, I think that having Ikanovic back would be wonderful for morale. Well, yeah. All of those things. One, I think he's too stubborn to come back. In, in a, in a, and two, I, I think the club probably would swallow their pride and have him back in many ways because of the job he did here. But I think that it w- we would struggle to kind of, if we didn't, do well we would struggle quite hard to reignite the kind of passions that once existed under Yukanovic and and you know then it's sort of you get split like like it's been this year you get this split camp with half yep. the people being like he won 8% of his games in the Premier League that's not good enough to stay up uh, and another crowd being like yeah but he did well last year and I think that you end up and, and look both of those viewpoints are completely valid and I completely appreciate them both but you end up with this kind of weird schism in the fan base and it doesn't allow the club to move on. You get mm. caught in this kind of paradigm where you're stuck between stations. And yep. even if he did badly, then, you know, then you'll be like, well, we reappointed him because he did well last time in the championship. And he knows the division. and Maybe he'll be better next season. But then you're also not being able to grow. And mm-hmm. all of those things, I just think going back, it's not always a bad thing. You know, you look at Monaco this season who realized they made a mistake. Yeah. been like, right, Shining. my bad. <laughs> Come back, please. I'm very sorry. And and I think that it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. It would definitely reunite everyone for a bit. Mm. And it would get everyone back under the banner and, and, and in the same direction. But I am wary of it as a long-term option because where do you go if it goes wrong? And do you end up with an even worse schism than what we've got going on now? Mm. And that would worry me. Um, 
let's talk very briefly because we've we've run on a bit on managers yeah. uh, about a couple of signings. Okay. And I know there's a man on loan from Madrid that you'd be very keen to have up top should Alexander Mitrovic leave for pastures new. Yeah. This guy plays for Rayo Vallecano at the moment on loan from Real Madrid. His name is Raul de Tomas and on the back of his shirt he literally just has the initials RDT which is firstly, doesn't care. firstly the sickest thing I've ever seen in, in football recently. But I think more importantly this is a guy that's proved himself to be a goal scorer year in year out like doesn't matter where he's been. Unfortunately if you're stuck in the Real Madrid system, it's much like Chelsea. You're just farmed out on loan year after year after year. And he's played two years in um, Rio Vallecano. He's played 70 games for them and scored something like 36 goals. Yeah. Which very good for record. a bottom team in La Liga and team that really struggles to score goals is fantastic. Um, I've really liked him for a while now. He'd done really well last season when they came back up from the Segunda, which is a league that is increasingly harder to get out of and they've yep. got some big teams in there like Osasuna, Malaga um, like those kind of guys Zaragoza um, and he just seems to hit the ground running and I think he's a, he's a great striker he's quite pacey he's very technically able he can score off both feet which is great if you look at his hat-trick he scored against I think it was against Celta Vigo there's a right foot left foot and an exquisite finish with his head in there as well and I think he's just a great player. All round, an all round technical striker that kind yeah. of has some physical ability. He is mm. quick. He's he does tall seem as like well, a. I think he does seem like a natural kind of player that would go would translate very well to the championship. Mm. In that he's not easy to knock about, but he is also technically gifted and yeah. would fit quite nicely into the Fulham team. I just want to talk to you quickly. What do you think is the position where Fulham need to strengthen? Obviously, this depends on who goes and who stays yeah. but in general where you know where do you see it? our defence has obviously been the problem this season mm. but I think we have a more than capable defence for a championship level should all those players stick around and that makes me wonder where we strengthen Mawson and Marshawn seem like a good partnership for championship centre-halves I think unfortunately Cyrus Christie with his showing this season might have ran his race for Fulham and I could see that he might someone might take him off our hands in the summer and I think if they did we wouldn't be too upset no offence Jack I would but I don't think anyone else would I think Joe Bryan's a decent left back I think he will be key for us next year he's proven to be very good at championship level someone like Andre Frank Zambangisa I think is putting himself in the shop window now with four or five very impressive performances but should we keep hold of him we have every intention to He'll be class for us next year. Uh, I do genuinely believe, and I mean, this might come back to bite me, but I'll put my neck on the line. I do believe that if Zambo stays, he will be the best midfielder in the championship next season. Yeah, I think Full I agree. Stop. End yeah, of. Agree. I, I just think his box-to-box ability, his, you know, his kind of tendency to carry the ball through players, he also breaks lines so mm. well. And everyone doesn't sort of notice because obviously quite a lot of our, our work at the moment is defensively minded. Yeah. He's not actually brilliant defensively. You know, he, he often gets his limbs in the way of things, yeah. but I think that's more luck than judgment in mm. many regards. But actually, when he's dribbling through players... He's very, very difficult to stop. I mean, he dictated the game against Millwall. And I know this is a very small sample size, but this is a team that basically played their first championship team. And he was untouchable all night. He was fantastic in that game. So I think he could do it again. um, And I'd love to see him do it. One thing I'm really worried about is our wingers and lack of striker. Um, Niskins is someone that I've never been enamoured with at all. I don't think he adds too much. I think he overcomplicates the game unnecessarily and is not direct enough considering how fast he is. Yeah. Someone like Floyd... I like him. Someone like Floyd will be fantastic next year if we can keep him fit and keep him going direct. Um, that being said, he's coming up to 31 now, so I wouldn't be too shocked if Fulham got him off the books and he ended up backing France somewhere. Um, then we need a striker for Mitrovic. I also think we need a right back and another centre mid somewhere. Okay, fair enough. Well, I'm sure we'll get on to more transfer targets as the season comes to its close. I want to finish off with one question, only one this week. The questions section is, as ever, sponsored by Putney Pies, the finest pies in all the land. They really are. They are really good. You should actually go down there. You get 10% off with the code who at all the pies or mention Fulhamish at the checkout. Mm -hmm. Uh, Genuinely do go down there because it's well nice. Um, But John Witham sent us a good question in this week, and I said I would bring it up. Mm. And he said, question... What relegation was more devastating, 2013-14 or 2018-19? 
2013, 14 for me, because if you like, I think because we do the pod now, we have to be more rational with the way that we think about Fulham and, and you know, the whole, how the way the whole year has gone. And if we're going to be brutally honest with ourselves, I think you could tell around J- December or January time, especially after that window slam shut in January 31st and those horrible games against like the likes of West Ham, where we didn't even threaten them. You could tell that we were a beaten side and we were going to go down. It's just a case of when, not if. 2013-14, we showed actual signs at times of wanting to stay in the division. And I think there was a game against Hull where we went 2-0 up and then it got pegged back to 2-2 and I was devastated. Yep. But That in, was the worst. In there, that we was were, the worst that day. In there, we were like literally just grabbing at straws with the players that we were playing and what positions we were playing them in. I mean, Dan Burn at right back was, is the underlying one everyone remembers. But that was genuinely so hard to take. We were in that Premier League for 13 years. We were a mainstay. Four, three years earlier, four years earlier, we'd been in the, in the final of, of the Europa League, a major European competition. The year before that, I think, or yeah, under under Yol, the year before, yeah, yeah. we'd been again in European competition. We'd looked to be sustaining ourselves. We'd made a couple of good signings and then all of a sudden it just fell apart around us. And it it was devastating demolishing like demoralizing as well just to go there and see us just crumble this year we came up we had all the dreams of staying in the premier league and making a mark for ourselves and unfortunately it just hasn't worked and for me it's probably still 2013-14 i completely agree i think also because it was something new you yeah. know that we'd come up but actually for especially for me who i had never actually experienced a relegation with fulham i'd seen you know in my lifetime although i wasn't old enough to really notice it i've seen three promotions you know all the way up from the bottom and never gone down. You know, we'd obviously had bad seasons, and and the, but they'd always ended with a great escape or a, you know, something to to kind of hold on to yeah. and look forward to. So 2013, 14, I think was the first time I ever felt, oh, we've been, we've been done, we've been hit, yeah. and it was the first time I suppose we'd ever experienced genuine sadness. Obviously, we felt it at the you know Europa League final when yeah. we lost and things like that. But you're also tempered with pride that you got to a Europa League final, little old Fulham against you. And obviously, yeah. it was sad as anything. But you know, you look back at that and you go, yeah. We got to Europa League, little Fulham. Mm. Look who we beat. Look, you know that run provides so much joy to people. Where I think 2013, 14 was the first time a lot of us have been like, "Oh, this is, this is it." And we're we're, we're off. See ya. And and you know, not being on match of the day and and all, all those kind of things. And I remember tweeting about it at the time, and I quote tweeted it the other week. Was uh, I? There was a thing saying hashtag things I won't miss about the Prem. And it was straight after we got relegated at Stoke. And I was like, for me, this is way too soon. I'm going to miss everything about the Premier League, even the bad bits, because it's been all I've known. Mm. Whereas this time, I'm like, fine, bring yeah. it back. Let's reset the clocks. Let's win some games. Let's get... It just, you know, there is perspective there. And you can obviously look at what's important in, in supporting your club. And mm. I think that this year, in so many ways, everything good from last year about Fulham has, has slightly been eroded obviously there's been clever business decisions made which we've only kind of found out about now and, and they need to be given due credit but up to that point it's felt like everything was negative yeah and and I think that that means but but still it wasn't heartbreak it was just kind of I was resigned to it almost at Christmas like you say yeah and it's just been one long drawn out slow process where it just felt that it was you know happening and happening and it just yep. got to the point where I was like just do it just do it and I suppose it comes on to the last question I was going to ask you mm. are, you, are you glad it's done like obviously you're not glad that we're relegated I'm not saying that by any but are you kind of glad it's just finished and we can just get on with the end of the season and look to build next year now yeah I am actually because if you think about it we've been wallowing in the in the sort of sadness for a few weeks now where it's not like we've even been debating are we going to do a great, great escape because I think we knew we weren't and the quality of the Premier League is such now that you never get a great escape anymore. Uh, there's too much money involved. There's too much quality. Um, I am glad it's done. But that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. No, So when that third goal went in at Watford, it was like all the feeling had just been drained out of my legs. I was like, this is it. I yeah, had to sit so down. I couldn't, I like, I sat down immediately and I was just like, this is it. It's done. And just to see all the players come over at full time and see TC and, and uh, Cess just visibly so upset. Obviously like, TC was clapping the fans and it almost looked as if he had tears like in his eyes and I think he he did and he would admit that Cess was like on his knees it's just it was really sad to see the players who are so heavily invested in this club feel like they've let us all down and yeah, that was hard but I do feel 
glad that it's over with now like it's not hanging over us anymore the pressure done. will Let's be off it'll be good it's yeah. nice it's been really great just Let's to, relegate cardiff yeah that'd be <laughs> awesome it's, it's just been so good to sit here with you and think you know what next year we actually could build like who what manager would be like who who do we think would, would like to join us like would like random players from you know like rz or anyone like that where we yeah. could just bring them in and just be like actually he'd be really good has been really nice to do it it's, it's been like a bit of more of a a soul lifter of a podcast. I think so. It's been more positive. Yeah. And you look at, you know, things like this and it's obviously difficult to, to stomach when you're, when you're not doing well, but mm. you know, and it kind of does make me reminder that every, every season is a cause for new optimism mm. in, in so many cases, apart from when your club is being run down from the inside, yeah. you know, and you look at the likes of Blackpool and you look at the likes of Sunderland and you look at the likes of Portsmouth, Blackburn, and Blackburn mm. all these clubs once great, who didn't just get relegated, but, absolutely fell apart and Portsmouth is always the one that gets me because I was watching a couple of documentaries about them before they got to the final uh, of that competition last week at Wembley and obviously it was an amazing day for both them and Sullen fair play Um, (laughs) and you know you look at them and you're like this club has gone through absolute hell and it's days like that that I'm honestly so grateful to have the Khans in charge of the club Uh, and I know things aren't perfect and and I'm not suggesting they are by any stretch of the imagination but on the whole we have owners that care deeply about the club, yeah. that are trying to do their best by the club. Yes, not every decision is made correctly. You know, yes, things don't always go to plan. But I do believe genuinely that they have the best interests of the club at heart. And I think that people forget that sometimes when, you know, when things are going badly, it's f- easy to fire and easy to, to fire shots at them. But actually... In when you look at things like, and, and I'd give me back to the championship with the Khans and someone like Mike Ashley at the helm any day of the week. Oh yeah, because you know you you know that ultimately we're going to get that investment again. They're gonna they're gonna try and bring this club back up. And you know, having you spoke to so many people around the club, there is you know that genuine sense that they want to make this club a brilliant place to be and make it you know what it was yeah. under the heights of Alfied and more. Yeah. And I think that we forget that and, and it's often it's easy to blame the obvious target when actually we should be all banding together around this time and you look at our owners and we should be like, well, I'm glad to have you on board. Yeah, I completely agree and I echo all of your statements and I think you know I do. Um, for me, the really nice thing was to see that statement from Shade Khan come out the day after Watford and say and just reiterate his commitment to the club. But his constant referral of the club as your club and not my club is something that I hold in really high regard. It's so easy for an owner to come out and say, you know what, I'm not going to back you anymore. Someone like a, a, a Mike Ashley or the Oystens or, you know, Venkies, etc., who sit there and say, you know what, this is my club, I'm a businessman, I'm not going to put any money into it. He's still saying, this is your club. I'm looking for your input. And, you know, there are trusts around Fulham and there, there are parties around Fulham that are advising him on how to push it forward, like FST, fan, doing a fantastic job around issues more than just ticket prices. It's, you know, how do we get more schools involved? Like, how do we increase the match day experience at Fulham? How do we give people a more comfortable ride? And, you know, they listen and they always have done. And I think they always will continue to do that as long as they're still in charge of this club. And... It's really difficult to say this, and I think might, people might call me like extremist or whatever, but I can't imagine a Fulham after the Khans at the moment because I can't see another party coming in with an interest as vested as these guys and running us as well as they are because football's not like that anymore. Football isn't a fairy tale anymore. Football's a business, and we need the Khans, and I don't think they particularly need us, so we should you know, not sit here and slag them off because... They are giving our little club a lifeline. Indeed. Right, well, I think that's probably all we've got time for on the Fulhamish podcast. All that's very much left for me to say is a massive thank you to Ben Jarman, who sat here and, and chatted pub talk with me for an hour of podcast. So and it's good. been it's been a real soul lifted, as you said earlier. Yeah. It's, a, it's been a, a heart warmer. I hope you've enjoyed it at home. Make sure you get involved with the podcast on Twitter, on Instagram. You can tweet me and Ben. Let, you, let us know what you thought of the pod. Um, I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Fulhamish Podcast. It's going to be better next season, lads. You whites. Right.